sometimes you just need to touch grass, literally and figuratively. And we recommend you bring books. Tell the bibliologist set tailored book recommendations about what you love and what you don't and what you want to read this summer on your outdoor adventures. You can get your recommendations via email or receive hardcovers in the mail. And TBR has plans for every budget. This summer, touch grass and bring books. You pack the bags, we pick the books. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 382, and today we are talking about books being released on October 4th, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Danica! Hello! It's October! It is! <laughs> and it is the book flood. There was so oh. many books to choose yeah. from today. Oh my goodness, yes. And also, I'm getting emails now being like, hey, can you give us some pics of the best books of 2022? Or, oh. hey, have you considered this for your list of best books? And I'm like, no, because it's only the beginning of October, and there's yeah. so many books. I feel like if you have a book that comes out in the last couple of months, it almost always gets left behind because it's... everybody's already moved on to 2023. Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah. And October is such a big release month. It's so yeah. strange to be like, yeah, we're going to post the best books of the month in early October. Yeah. I've always found publishing to be weird. I never understand. There's always like the Tuesday after Christmas when mm. there's like one or two really big releases. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, is that to stimulate book sales <laughs> after the holidays? Because like, why wouldn't you want to do it before, you know, Hanukkah yeah. and Christmas and all the other holidays? Like why? Like it's a great gift. Like, I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, they definitely have their own math or separate calendar that they're working off that yeah. we mere mortals cannot understand. Yeah. Although, as I have mentioned before, the last couple of years, there have been a lot more books released at the end of the year than there used to be. Hmm. It used to be like Thanksgiving, and then it dried up until the next year. Yeah. There used to be no November or especially December release. Well, obviously, there were some, but... Almost none. Yeah, but it was it was not nearly as many as it is now. We yeah. are blessed in <laughs> yeah. books this the end of this year. It's funny, we start recording and I'm always like, all I do is talk about books, really, when I'm on the podcast. <laughs> like, I get out and I start talking about books, you know. Although Patricia and I went on and on and on about how much we love skeletons <laughs> last week. Amazing. <laughs> Sometimes we get done recording and I'm like, huh, well, we're a little wacky. <laughs> you never know. You never know what's going to come out once you start recording. You know what is coming out? Reading the Stars, Astrology for Book Lovers by Book Riot. Ta-da! Do you like my segue? Nice. Uh, we have a book coming out about astrology, which I'm very excited about because I don't understand mine ever. Like, I don't know what's not like moon sign, water. I don't know. I know that I'm a cancer, but that's about all I know. But uh, Book Riot has a book coming out that will help you learn all these things. 
Are you a Libra who prefers balance and fairness, or a Pisces whose emotional intelligence demands a vulnerable memoir? You're going to find out. Reading the Stars will help you better understand how your zodiac sign shapes your reading life and offers book recommendations to help you build on your strengths, explore areas of growth, understand your own sign, and learn about others. Whether you know your birth chart by heart or are just getting curious about astrology, Reading the Stars is for you, and Publishers Weekly calls it an ideal gift for bookworms with a celestial bent. And now, through October 31st, 2022, you can enter to win Book Riot's Reading the Stars with an obvious state celestial print, a notebook, and a tote bundle. You can find a link to this giveaway in the show notes, which we will mention at the end. It's bookriot.com slash all the books. And so, yeah, so very exciting. You can win a free copy and all that other cool loot. And don't forget that Reading the Stars by Book Riot is available wherever books are sold. I wrote a very tiny bit of this book, so I highly recommend it. (laughs) Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. I wasn't asked to, probably because I, you know, I never know what's going on. I'm like, I'm like, oh, everything's so bad. It must be Mercury is in Gatorade or something, you know, like, I don't know. So I'm very excited to read it. I haven't gotten my copy yet, but. It's so pretty, just the illustrations. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. And the end papers and everything. Yeah. It's definitely a, a coffee table book you're going to want to have, I think. When I was at the book conference last week, I, I walked into the showroom, and the first table that I happened upon was the publisher of this book. And the guy behind the, the table immediately saw my badge and went, oh, we're putting your book out, and it's so pretty. <laughs> oh, I was really? like, it is. <laughs> yes, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. So... It's October, which means there's still creepy book recommendations to be had. Uh, But before we get into those, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Sometimes you just need to touch grass, literally and figuratively. And we recommend you bring books. Tell the bibliologists at Tailored Book Recommendations about what you love and what you don't and what you want to read this summer on your outdoor adventures. You can get your recommendations via email or receive hardcovers in the mail. And TBR has plans for every budget. This summer, touch grass and bring books. You pack the bags, we pick the books. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. Okay, now that I teased you about creepy books, I am not going to talk about one first. (laughs) But I am going to talk about what is possibly the biggest book of the fall season. Everyone is going to be talking about this tremendous, moving, heart-squeezing dystopian novel very soon. It is called Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. Everyone loves Celeste Ng. Last two novels, Little Fires Everywhere, Everything I Never Told You. Huge hits. TV series. She's the best. And this is her new book. It's about a young boy named Bird. When he was around eight, eight, I think, I read this a long time ago, uh, his mother left. Now, before the time when his mother left, there had been a lot of protests and violence in the country against people of color and a lot of of, uh, hate crimes and people, you know, trying to protest the, the president and his laws and his his rules about people of color being in the country and undocumented immigrants and a lot of pushback. Basically what happens is America is turned into 100% a fascist nation. The federal government decides to pass PACT, P-A-C-T, which stands for Preserving American Culture and Traditions Act. 
So now kids in school are taught to obey the government, never question the government, always uh, side with, you know, the people that, you know, show faith and loyalty to America, turn in anybody who you hear might be saying something bad about the government or plotting something against the government. Like, it's just they're indoctrinated. And the internet now doesn't allow people to do searches for anything that the government considers bad or wrong or upsetting or un-American. And they have now what they call people of Asian origin who are uh, held in suspicion at all times of possibly colluding with China. And so the people who live here are harassed and they also have to go out of their way and bend over backwards to show that they are very American. The school that Bird goes to, most of the things in the school have been donated by Asian American families to show that they are loyal to the country and they don't want suspicion to fall on them. So they're, you know, giving tons of money. And for Bird, Bird's father is white and his mother is Asian American. And so when they talk about sedition and un-American things in class, like all the kids look at him and the teacher asks him if he's paying particular attention and just all this racist, horrible nonsense. And one more thing that happens under PACT is that children can be removed from the homes where the parents are suspected of questioning the government or plotting something against the government. Like, there's very little reason the the government will just come in and take the children away. Uh, Bird has a, a school friend that this happened to. And Bird's mother was a famous poet, her most famous piece called All Our Missing Hearts. And she was very vocal at the beginning in her opposition of pact and the way that people were being treated. And then one day she was gone. And his father tells Bird that he needs to forget that his mother ever existed. And for a little while, he kind of does. He doesn't forget her, but, you know, he doesn't really understand when he's young, like, what is going on? He just knows that his mother left him and he's angry about that. But then as he gets older and he meets his friend whose parents, you know, were taken away, he learns more about, like, what is going on in the country and why his mother might have left. And then one day he gets a letter. And, of course, it's been opened because the government opens everyone's mail now. And especially, you know, the, the families of people who had family members who might have something bad to say about the government. Um, but all it is is a drawing of cats. And so he doesn't know what this means, except he thinks it's from his mother. And so then protests start happening. They start seeing things out in the world. You know, people are spray painting things and painting red hearts. And people keep writing the words, our missing hearts, which, as I mentioned, was from the poem that his mother wrote. And he begins to wonder if his mother is around and she's trying to tell him something. After his mother disappeared, his father left his job. He moved them out of their home. He moved to a different part of the country. But Bird is pretty sure that she has managed to find them. So how long can the citizens of the country who are not racist live in fear of the government? How long can they go on missing their family members? This is just, it's powerful. I know I say that about some books, but wow. I read this book and I was like, I'm pretty sure my heart just broke. <laughs> but it's its just so frighteningly realistic and it'll make you cry. But it's so beautifully written and it's also quite hopeful. It is. You know, uh, Celeste Ng said she wrote the book because it was the book she felt she needed to write at the time. And it feels like a book that the author needed to write. And it's just so moving. I do want to give content warnings for racism and xenophobia and crimes related to those things, as well as violence, bullying, loss of a loved one, and grief. Everybody's going to be reading this book. It's Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. I can't wait to read that. 
I mean, I'm definitely part of the everyone who loves Celestine. (laughs) And my first pick is also an author who has seen a lot of popularity recently. And it's A Scatter of Light by Melinda Lowe. And I have to start this with a confession, which is that I haven't actually read Last Night at the Telegraph Club yet, even though it's been hugely popular. And I was so excited to read it. I actually had a copy and then I bought another signed copy and I still haven't read it because who knows how you make those decisions of TBR order. So I can't compare the two, but this is only a very loose companion to Telegraph Club. So you definitely don't need to have read that to pick this one up. This one follows Aria as she spends the summer between high school and university in 2008 with her grandmother, Joan, in California. I think this is such a great time period to set YA novels, by which I mean not 2008 in particular, but just the summer between, because every summer as a kid and teen feels like such a strange, transitionary, surreal time. But nothing epitomizes it more than being done high school, but not yet starting the next stage of your life. This wasn't how Arya planned to spend this summer. She was supposed to split the time between staying with her two best friends, Haley and Tasha, while her father was at a writing retreat. And her mother, as usual, is overseas. She is an opera singer, so she is rarely home. But then a boy posted topless photos of her on Tumblr without her permission, which started a cascade of things. And now she is spending the summer with Joan instead. And while she's there, that's when she meets Joan's gardener, Steph. And it is through meeting Steph, who is probably non-binary, but is still figuring things out, that Arya realizes that she is not straight, and also that there is so much more to attraction than the emotionally distanced fooling around she's done with boys in the past. Steph's queer friend group immediately adopts Arya even before she comes out to them, and she is swept into this queer community that is celebrating the recent defeat of Prop 8 in California, and gay marriages are happening all around them. And during this, she falls hard for Steph. But the problem with that is that Steph already has a girlfriend. This is definitely a story about a messy first love and about coming out, at least to yourself. Her attraction to Steph is definitely top of Arya's mind this summer, but it's also far from the only thing happening. Joan is a respected artist who Arya has always been really proud to be related to, but she is beginning to lose her memory. The story is also threaded with a few repeating motifs, including astronomy, because Arya is studying astronomy in university and following in her grandfather's footsteps in that, as well as time and art. I think it perfectly captures that tumultuous, heady feeling of teenage first love, how it is all-consuming, illogical, and often ephemeral while feeling like the most important thing in the world. For Last Night at the Telegraph Club, for fans of that one, there is a brief update on the main characters, but it's only a few pages. 
Despite this being a quietly unfolding story of self-discovery, I was completely absorbed and I couldn't stop flipping the pages. If you appreciate introspective, character-driven YA, I can't recommend this highly enough. I do want to give some content warnings, but some of them are also spoilers, so you might want to skip ahead like 10 seconds if you want to avoid that. So content warnings for cheating, hospitalization, stroke, death of a loved one, and grief. And that is A Scatter of Light by Melinda Lowe. Okay, so I have a couple of things that I can tell you about this book. Okay. Because I actually was at an event with her last week, and she talked about this book, and it turns out that this was actually the first book that she wrote many years ago. Wow. And she couldn't find a publisher for it. They didn't want a YA novel with queer romance. Mm, And so mm -hmm. she put it aside, and she wrote A Line in the Dark, which today is coming out in a new format. I, myself, am a huge fan of the paperback cover of A Line in the Dark with the hand and the black droopy ink and the you know. (laughs) But this the new cover is great, too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's been five years since that came out. So she wrote A Line in the Dark. It got all the rave reviews. It did really well. And then she sat down and she wrote last night at the Telegraph Club. And as we know, it was published. It won the National Book Award last year. And after she finished last night at the Telegraph Club, she went back to A Scatter of Light and changed some things and realized there was some room in that for characters of last night at the Telegraph Club and kind of like changed it up. So it actually was her first book that she wrote, A Scatter of Light. That's so cool. Yeah, I think I heard that A Line in the Dark was specifically supposed to be the opposite of A Scatter of Light. Like the titles were supposed (laughs) to be opposite to each other because she just like wanted to distance herself after she couldn't sell it. That's so interesting. Yeah. It was it was so interesting to listen to her talk about yeah. that because you know I, I've said this before and we often think like oh this is the author's debut novel mm-hmm. and they say debut to make you think like this is their first book but it might be their second or their third or their sixth or their tenth yeah. and it's their first book to be published you know like you just never know yeah and that's why you should never give up yeah because you just don't know what's gonna happen yeah she was ahead of publishing like it took that long for <laughs> publishing to catch up. Yeah. So my next pick for today is a Halloween book, and I'm very excited about it. It is Such Sharp Teeth by Rachel Harrison. This is the first of two books I'm going to talk about today that are in one of my favorite horror subgenres, which is the begrudging return to your hometown in which nothing good is going to happen. I love these stories, you know, like sharp objects, you know, you go back to your hometown and you see people you don't want to see and things happen that you don't want to happen and it's just a hot mess and I love it. So this one is by Rachel Harrison and Harrison is the author of The Return, which is one of my brand new favorite horror books of all time, came out a couple years ago. And then last year she had Cackle, which was about witches, which was also awesome. And if you could not guess from the title, I guess you might think it's a vampire book, but this one is about werewolves. So yay for werewolves. And the main character in this book is Rory Morris, which is hard to say if you say it fast. Uh, Rory hates where she grew up. She hates the people she grew up with. She has hoped to never have to go back to her hometown. And then she gets a call from her twin sister, Scarlett, who says that she's pregnant and that the father of the baby has abandoned her and she's not doing well and she needs help. She needs someone to come help her out because she doesn't know what to do. And so Rory's familial obligation feelings 
outweigh her I don't want to go home feelings, and she returns home to help her sister Scarlet. But on one of the first nights that she is there, she's driving and she hits a large animal and she doesn't know what it is. She thinks it's a dog. And when she gets out to see what she hit, it jumps up and bites her and runs off. And she almost immediately begins experiencing changes to her body that she can't explain. Meanwhile, she's possibly striking up a new relationship with an old flame. She runs into a guy in a bar that she used to have a crush on. And, you know, maybe this time around it's going to work for them. You know, and her sister is, you know, moving along in her pregnancy and things are changing for her. And and she's all excited about this new boyfriend. But, you know, is she going to kiss him or is she going to eat him? Like, we're going to find out. It's a really great take on society and women's bodies. You know, as Rory changes into a werewolf, Scarlet's body is changing as she gets closer to her due date. Um, and one of the things that I love about this book, and this is not a spoiler because, as we know, Rory is, has been bitten and she's turning into a werewolf, is that she immediately thinks she's turning into a werewolf, which I find completely reasonable. I mean, I don't believe in werewolves, but, like, she has all the symptoms. You watch, you watch her read books with werewolves and they're like, oh, I'm howling at the moon and I'm getting hair on my face and growing claws and I can smell, you know, a million miles away. And maybe I'm just coming down with some allergies, you know? Like, she's like, no. She's like, oh my goodness, this is some dang werewolf stuff that is going on right now. Am I turning into a werewolf? And I and I loved that she was, like, right on top of it. Also, like, I, I read and watch horror and I think... Don't go in there. I would never go in there. Don't don't enter that house. Like, why would you go in that house, you know? But if I hit a large animal, I would 100% get out of the car to see what I hit and end up a werewolf, like, without a doubt. Like, I would not be afraid to get out of the car. So I also identified with that. I do want to give content warnings for mentions of animal harm. If, you know, you're concerned about werewolves. Pregnancy horrors, gore, and sexual assault. This is such sharp teeth by Rachel Harrison. For a uh, reluctantly returned to hometown horror, have you read The Dead in the Dark by Courtney Gold? I haven't yet, but it just came out in paperback that, last week. Yeah, that, the week that before, would add I think. Up. I have it. Yeah. I think story it, of my life. <laughs> I have that by Liberty Hardy. Yeah, it's like the, the, it's a YA horror and it's a very queer, awesome book, but it's the two dads return to their like homophobic small town because something, something spooky is happening. Yeah, I feel like it really nails that theme. It's a very popular trope across all yeah. genres, you know? <laughs> like there's the romance ones where like, oh, I have to go back for my sister's wedding or I have to, you know, like it's, it's a very popular thing. But in horror, it's definitely not going, you know, in like romance, it's like, I'm going to strike up a relationship with somebody I used to date, yeah. which sounds like a nightmare to me. <laughs> but like in horror, it's always like, I'm going to go back to my old hometown and now it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, you were, you, know? you were right to leave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like uh, they just opened a bookstore in my hometown and I've been there six times now which is uh, one more time than I have visited my hometown on its own in the 30 years since I left. I was like, why did you have to put a bookstore here? (laughs) Catnip, Liberty Catnip. (laughs) (laughs) All right. My next book I want to talk about is The Future is Disabled by Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Samarasena. 
This is a book of essays about disability justice, both during the pandemic and in the future. It's written for a queer, BIPOC, neurodivergent, disabled audience, which is also the focus of disability justice. The title of the collection is a reference to Alice Wong's Crip Oracle. And actually, last month on the show, I recommended Wong's memoir, Year of the Tiger, which is also amazing. The Future is Disabled explains that disabled people have been denied visions of the future, not just the sci-fi future, but imaginings of adulthood, old age, and future possibility for themselves that has not been represented in media and is often not even encouraged in disabled young people. At the same time, we're living through joint pandemics of COVID-19, racism, and a climate crisis that have combined to become a mass disabling event. With long COVID and other consequences of these pandemics, it's a real possibility that disabled people will be the majority in the maybe near future, especially with more people embracing the labels of disabled and neurodivergent. Piepsna Samarasena asks, have we ever imagined this not just as a cautionary tale or scary story, but as a dream? These essays, written from 2020 to 2022, discuss what the pandemic has been like for disabled people. They talk about how many friends and role models in disability justice have died in such a short time span and the grief that she is holding. In one passage, an ICU nurse friend explains that she appreciated spending time with someone else who had been through a death COVID, not a boredom COVID or an art COVID or a productivity COVID. The author also talks about what they call ICU-genics, about disabled people keeping each other alive through the pandemic through networks of support and information. In one memorable passage, an organization recommended creating a one-pager about your life to hang around your neck while going into the hospital to try to convince doctors that your life is worth saving. It would have a flattering picture of yourself and a few words around it about what you love about your life so that medical professionals would hopefully believe you had a good enough quality of life to provide care. These essays also argue that disabled ways of thinking and working are crucial in addressing the enormous problems that we face right now. Mutual aid saw new prominence during the pandemic, but some of the organizations that popped up in that time missed the mark, and they could learn from disability justice groups that have been doing it for much longer. Piepsna Samarasena isn't afraid to wade into the real messy process of creating care networks and working towards disability justice. They talk about the difficult questions and the problems that come up, as well as the variety of ways that care and that disability justice can look. She says that disabled community isn't something you find, it's something you build. I took so many notes while reading this that I could keep spouting off bullet points of what I thought was so powerful and essential from the future is disabled, but it would be a very long time reciting it and it would not be as good as just reading it. I always get so much out of Piepsna Samaritana's books, and I am looking forward to rereading this one to get even more. This book both faces the deadly ableism of the world we live in head on, while also imagining a hopeful future, one partly made up of already existing spaces like disability justice art performances. 
I can't recommend this book highly enough. Every book that I've read about disability justice has expanded my mind and made me see new possibilities for the world and the way I live in it. And I know I've only scraped the surface of the collective knowledge of this movement. And that is The Future is Disabled by Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Samarasena. All right. So those are books that we have read that we are endorsing. Now we're going to talk about more of today's new releases, both hardcover and paperback that we are excited about but haven't necessarily read. I am, however, going to kick it off with a book that's out today that I did read and enjoyed quite a bit. It's that other nothing good happens when you go home story that I was mentioning It's called Jackal by Erin E. Adams. It is about a young black woman named Liz Rocher, who is from a very small, very racist town in Pennsylvania, and when she graduates, she cannot get away from her town fast enough. She did not have any good memories about the place, including the time that she went to a party in the woods during high school and one of her classmates went missing. So now it's like... I don't know, many years later, and her best friend, who still lives in the town, has asked her to come back for her wedding. And so, of course, she can't say no to her friend, and she returns to her small Pennsylvania town, Johnstown, and it's going to be a happy occasion. Her friend is getting married. She loves her friend's daughter, who is like eight or nine, Uh, and indeed, they do have a happy wedding, but after, at the reception, her friend's daughter goes missing in the very same woods where Liz thought she saw something happen the night a classmate went missing. And as they're searching for the young child, Liz finds out that there is a whole bunch of missing and dead black girls in the area from, from like, decades. I almost said centuries. That's incorrect. From, like, decades ago. And there are mostly cases in which the police either ignored the call for help or declared them to be runaways or refused to see that there was any kind of link. But now Liz is pretty certain that there is a serial killer working in the area. So she enlists the help of a guy that she used to go to school with who now works at the police station and basically just presses him for information all the time, putting his job in jeopardy. But, you know, they really feel like they're doing this for a good cause uh, and she's going to have to get to the bottom of this. It's... Very creepy, very realistic, gets a little weird at the end, which I always enjoy, Uh, and I just thought it was an excellent debut. I do want to give content warnings for racism, child endangerment, murder, and death, and gore. This is Jackal by Aaron E. Adams. So I think my next book I wanted to talk about might be the opposite of horror. I think think it might be as as far as you can get from That's okay. Uh, So for a dramatic tone shift, I'm going to talk about Anne of Greenville by Mariko Tamaki. So I have a bit of a history with Anne of Green Gables, which is that my mom loved it and tried to read it to me as a kid, was really invested in me also loving it. And the way I remember it, she read the very first sentence and I said, no, no, (laughs) this sounds way too boring. And I refused to let her read any further. And I mean, to this day, I still have trouble reading books that start with scenery descriptions in my defense. So despite being Canadian, I did not read Anne of Green Gables until I was in my 20s. And then it turns out I loved it. Sorry, mom. (laughs) You were right. So I came away from it thinking two things. One is that I really had thought Anne had a very different personality in my head. I thought she was like a kind of Pollyanna character, but she is so much better than that. 
And I also thought, wow, this is very gay. This is much gayer than I expected. And I actually wrote a book riot post about this ages ago called Bosom Friends, the Gay Anne of Green Gables Scandal, because I was not the only one to think that her reading about solemnly swearing to be faithful to her bosom friend, Diana, and saying that she loves her so much that she can't live without her, uh, sure made it sound like she had a crush on Diana. So luckily... While we can debate whether it's canon in the original books, and people definitely have debated this, we are getting some queer retellings recently, which is amazing. In this one, Anne is a Japanese-American, ABBA-loving, roller-skating artist who finds herself in a small town called Greenville. And after a failed disco performance, she meets her new best friend, Barry, and the girl of her dreams, Gilly. And this is the point where I'm like, I think that might be the opposite of horror is when you are an ABBA-loving roller skating artist putting on a disco performance. Every disco performance I put on (laughs) is a failed disco performance. (laughs) Maybe that's horror, too. (laughs) Depends how it goes. So at this point, a glitter-filled love triangle ensues. This looks like so much fun. I've always loved Mackie's books. And the great thing is, this is actually not the only queer middle grade Anne of Green Gables retelling out this month. There's also Anne, an adaptation of Anne of Green Gables, sort of, that's the title, by Kathleen Gross, which is a graphic novel out October 25th which is another current-day Anne retelling where she falls for Diana. I don't know why now, particularly, is the time to do an Anne of Green Gables retelling, especially if it's queer, but I am here for it. I will be reading both of those, but maybe someone will talk about that when it comes up. And that is Anne of Greenville by Mariko Tamaki, the one that's out today. And then Anne by Kathleen Gross is the graphic novel coming out later. All right, before I tell you about my last pick for today, we are going to hear from another sponsor. All right, so I have been hearing about this last pick for a very long time, and I am still not read it. I keep meaning to, and then other stuff comes up, and I just never got to it. Uh, But it sounds so interesting. It's supposed to be an incredible historical debut. It is called The Whalebone Theater by Joanna Quinn. It's set in the early 1920s. It's about a whale carcass that washes up on shore in the English Channel. And the people of this town where it washed up turn the whale's ribcage into a theater. And they hold plays and the townspeople are enthralled and it's so much fun. But as they grow up, as the children in this town grow up, war comes to Europe and it turns out that the British decide to use this whalebone theater as a uh, secret base for uh, British secret agents to, to, um, what, what are the words I want? What would you do? Spy? Do war stuff? I don't know. I've lost my train of thought, but it just sounds so interesting. Um, I think part of the reason that I have not read it yet is that you all know how sensitive I am to animal stuff in books. Like, that's my thing. But I'm hoping that since the whale has already died, that it will be gentle on me. But I do really want to read it. I mean, it's getting amazing reviews. I've seen it mentioned like a million places. I'm now forgetting the person who is doing the launch with with Joanna Quinn, but I was like, oh, so jealous. It might be Celeste Ng. I can't remember. But 
it's just, it sounds really cool. Um, I love historical fiction. So uh, this is The Whalebone Theater by Joanna Quinn. Okay, my last book is october so <laughs> I went from the opposite to one that is more appropriate for this month, and that is Queer Little Nightmares, an anthology of monstrous fiction and poetry by David Lee and Daniel Zamparelli. So despite there being so many great books to choose from today, actually two of my far are from the same indie press, Arsenal Pulp Press, because they are my favorite. And they publish so many interesting, queer, diverse, indigenous, social justice titles. I always recommend them. And this is a collection that reclaims monsters from a queer perspective. So monsters and villains, think Disney villains, have historically often been queer-coded. Carmen Maria Machado actually has a fantastic essay about this in her memoir in the Dream House. She also edited an edition of Carmilla that I think does an incredible job of reclaiming a queer monster just by adding a new framing device and a few footnotes. So in that same vein, Queer Little Nightmares explores how queer people throughout history have identified with these monsters. And in these stories and poems, they reimagine their stories with a sympathetic approach. So this is a book for monster lovers. There are kaijus, werewolves, a minotaur, ghosts, and Hindu revenant, and more included. A couple of the contributors are Amber Dawn and Kai Cheng Tom. Side note, if you haven't read Kai Cheng Tom's books and advice column, you need to. She's such a thought-provoking writer. This looks like the absolute perfect collection to start off my October reading, and I cannot wait to dive in. I was actually choosing between this and some others to read before the show, and I decided to save this one so that I could actually read it during October because of monsters and horror. You want that in October. And that is Queer Little Nightmares by David Lee and Daniel Zamparelli. Okay, and I am now going to talk about a few paperback releases out today. And I have the perfect segue from your last pick, because out today is also It Came From the Closet, Queer Reflections on Horror by Joe Valise. He is the editor. This book features 25 essays by writers speaking about queer horror, including Carmen Maria Machado, who has written an essay on Jennifer's body, which I still have not seen, but I need to watch very soon. Uh, so this one is actually a paperback original. Uh, now I'm going to get to some hardcovers that are out in paperback today, but I just wanted to mention that one first since it fits so nicely with your last pick. So out today in paperback, Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir, the author of The Martian. This is Sounding surprisingly familiar about a sole survivor of Earth's last chance mission. Edie Richter is Not Alone by Rebecca Handler, about a woman who moves from San Francisco to Australia with her husband, and it gives her new time and new perspective to reflect on a terrible secret she is carrying. The Death of Jane Lawrence by Caitlin Starling. So, I have to say that... Uh, you know, people's choice and taste in books is subjective. No one likes the same thing. That would be super boring. Uh, you know, and I talk about books that I really love. And this book came out last year. And when I read it, I was like, oh, I love this with the marrow in my bones. I loved it so much. It turns out that not, not many other people do. Uh, it didn't have very good ratings. And when I went to look it up recently, I was like, Oh, goodness. So maybe this book is exclusive to me? I don't know, but I'm going to tell you that it's on paperback today because I loved it 
so much. It is a gothic historical horror novel about a woman named Jane who enters a marriage of convenience with a local doctor who says, this is all fine and good, but you can't ever stay at my family home. And of course, on their very wedding night, she winds up at his family home and finds out why she's not supposed to be there. Anyway, I love this book. So I will, I will always go on the record as saying that. Also out today on Girlhood, 15 stories from the well-read Black Girl Library edited by Gloria Adeem. This features stories from Jamaica Kincaid, Toni Morrison, Dorothy West, Rita Dove, Alice Walker, Edwige Danticat, Zora Neale Hurston, so many more. The Memoirs of Stockholm Sven by Nathaniel Ian Miller, which is set in 1916 and is about a man who leaves Stockholm to seek adventure in the Arctic. Blackbirds in the Sky, the story and legacy of the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre by Brandy Colbert. That basically tells you about the book right there in the title. Uh, it is excellent YA nonfiction about the true events of 1921. Now, for some paperback originals today, The Strange Inheritance of Leah Fern by Rita Zoe Chin. It's about a lonely young woman who was abandoned at a circus when she was young, whose decision to give up on life brings her more than she ever could have imagined. Station Eternity by Murr Lafferty, about a private investigator from Earth investigating crime on an alien space station. The Invincible Miss Cust by Penny Haw, which is based on the real life of Britain's first woman veterinary surgeon. The Storyteller's Death by Anna Davila Cardinal. This is a family saga about a Puerto Rican teenager who has a strange ability. I'm a big fan of the author's earlier YA novels. I think she won a Hugo or a Bram Stoker or something for one of her books, but I'm very excited for this, which is an adult title. And Blackmail and Babinka, a Tita Rosie's Kitchen Mystery by Mia P. Manansala. This is the third book in the series that started with arsenic and adobo taking place in a restaurant in which the main character's long-lost cousin, who brings trouble wherever he goes, comes back to town, and it means nothing good is going to happen. See? Going home. People going home. Nothing good ever happens. So, those are books that we're excited about, books that are out in paperback. I like books. Yeah. So, Danica, what are you going to read next? Um, I'm going to read, I am like midway through this manga series that I am loving called Laid Back Camp by Afro. And it's literally just going camping. There's like no conflict. They just go camping every, every volume. If you want to read something extremely gentle and comforting, I highly recommend it. I've read five volumes and I'm so excited to read all the rest of them. What are you reading? Oh my goodness. Could you say that title again, please? It's called Laid Back Camp, which is just exactly what it is. <laughs> it's just laid back <laughs> camping. Hilarious. So I have been super cranky because I've had all this work this week when all I really want to do is read Witch King by Martha Wells, which mm-hmm. comes out next year. Martha Wells, author of the Murderbot series, which is my favorite new series. That and Gideon, I should say, I guess. Uh, but this is not a Murderbot book. It is just a giant fantasy novel with a witch, and I'm very excited. And hopefully, by the time you are hearing this, because we are recording this on Friday, it goes up on Tuesday, uh, I will be knees deep in the Alan Rickman memoirs. Mm because it was supposed to arrive today, and it did not. 
So I hope to be reading that soon. He actually, I don't feel bad reading this one because he actually wrote these with the intent of publishing them. Mm. But unfortunately, you know, he died in 2016. And so uh, an editor came and cleaned him up and now we get to read them. And I just, I loved him and everybody loves him. So I think it's going to be a huge holiday gift book. So very excited. And that is it for us today, book lovers. Thank you to our sponsor. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. Don't forget about Reading the Stars, Astrology for Book Lovers by Book Riot. You can find it wherever books are sold, and you can enter to win a copy in the show notes. You can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Danica hangs out on Twitter and Instagram at lesbrary, which is L-E-S-B-R-A-R-Y. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Franzen Comes Alive. And you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us, and we appreciate it so much. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, I'd have to go read that camping book that she was talking about. <laughs> so you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.